Chapter 94 I have no idea where Velma is. And that is going to be a problem. I thought at first that she would be in the bakery since it was well past opening time by then, but apparently, since it's Christmas Eve they shut a few hours ago. Emily, who's locking the door as I approach, gives me an apologetic smile and pats my arm reassuringly. You will find her, she tells me with enough certainty to cover for the both of us. You have to make this right. Or you'll get your spoons. I chuckle dryly, masking the jittery nerves underneath that keep telling me to run. Or I'll get my spoons, Emily repeats, nodding seriously. She hands me a bag full of various pastries and breads, explaining that they were leftovers that didn't sell and would only go bad since the bakery is shut over the holidays. Good luck finding Velma. Thanks. I call back as I start a mad dash to the next potential location, the community center. I'd never been inside before, and instead of attempting to talk to any staff members, I try to carry myself with enough confidence and I am supposed to be here nest that I don't get questioned or stopped by anyone. By following random signs in the blind hope that I would run into Velma, I somehow end up in the archives on the staff floor, which is closed to the public. Curiosity gets the better of me and I find myself rooting through all of the pictures from my last few years in high school. None of these should be accessible to the public, since most of the people in these pictures are still very much alive, but I flick through them anyway. I don't know what I'm looking for. It's mostly just pictures of the town and various crowds and events, but about a third of the way through the stack, I find us. Like Mystery Incorporated, as teenagers. Some were group pictures, with the four of us posing somewhat awkwardly in various places. It must have been for the yearbook or something since we were never that famous to warrant something like a newspaper article on us, even if the town was really small and nothing interesting ever happened. When I flick past those, however, I find some more candid shots. I don't think we knew these were being taken. Something about the soft edges made it seem like the pictures were taken from quite a distance away with a zoom lens, and we were much more relaxed and open than we were in the posed photos. In one of them, Velma and I are looking over a book together, standing incredibly close to one another. In the next one, Velma is studying the book while a teenage me is studying her with love-struck eyes. I could practically see the heart-shaped eyes. I wonder if Velma ever found out who actually helped her avoid criminal charges for all the trouble she got up to after we broke up back in high school. I definitely didn't tell her about the deal I made with Bobby or the strong words I exchanged with Brandon after the incident after prom. I doubt that anyone would have told her about who raised the alarm either. Some secrets will die with me, I suppose. As much as I would love to sit and rummage through more photos, it's the actual Velma I'm looking for, 
not her photograph version. I put the photos away and head off to the next possible location, the library. It's still open, somehow, and I find that despite not stepping inside its doors for over 20 years, not much has changed. There's a couple of new librarians and a slightly updated selection of books and tech available, but other than that, it's identical to the one in my memory. I guess some things never change. Velma, however, seems to have changed quite a bit. Whenever I needed to find her when we were kids, she would either be at home, in the library, or goodness knows we're solving mysteries. I would usually be with her in the latter scenario, but towards the end. Anyway, point is, she isn't in the library. I even did three circuits and laps around the building, upsetting a shelf and knocking into a person in the process, but I found no sign of her. In one of my laps of the building, I spotted a copy of one of Fred's books in the local author's section of fiction. I pick it up off the shelf and have a quick flick through of it, settling on a random page. I start to read. The Mystery of the Haunted House, page 54. But where could she be? asked Danielle, looking around for her best friend. I've been searching everywhere, but I can't seem to find her anywhere. Maybe she got RHOST, suggested Rowdy. He was rather unhelpfully, Danielle would like to add, helping himself to some snacks from Felicity's bag on the floor. The pair of them had been looking for what felt like hours, but in reality was only a few minutes. Any luck, Dan? Derek asked Danielle. Because I dash. I don't read any further. I don't have time to read a literal allegory for my current situation. I have to find Velma. Where could she be? I checked all of her usual haunts, and there's no way she could still be in the park, it's too cold. Unless. As if sensing my unraveling resolve, Amina entered the bathroom, grimacing at my appearance. She tucked the gun into a hidden pocket under my skirt, reprimanding me for having it so openly out, someone will see you if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah, I know. I replied dismissively, complying best I could, still holding on to the edge of the counter and staring at my reflection in semi-bewilderment at the unfamiliarity. Alicia's going to be waiting outside, Amina informed me, distractedly fixing my appearance as she talked. She tucked some loose hair behind my ears, softly cupping my chin in her hands to force me to look at her as she asked, Are you ready? Amina had become a pseudo-maternal figure for everyone in the gang, and I was no exception. Even though I hadn't said anything to her, she seemed to have picked up on the discomfort I felt around Brandon, and she appeared to have picked up on my uncertainty as she didn't move until I finally nodded. If you can't do it, just give me a shout, she continued, it'll stay between us, don't worry. As long as you hit her, it doesn't matter if you actually hurt her or not, Brandon LL be happy, okay?
Okay. I nodded again, grateful for the reassurance. I'll be out in a minute, then. Amina forced her lips into a taut smile, released a short breath of determined air, and left after wishing me luck. I returned to my spot in front of the mirror, trying to psyche myself up. I imagined walking up to Alicia, imagined seeing her greet me with a smile, I imagined that smile disappearing, just like Pete's did, when I pulled a gun on her. I imagined shooting her square in the chest, I imagined seeing the bullet whiz past her face, I imagined her crumpled on the ground with wet, sticky blood pooling beneath her as she asks why, for the last time. What am I doing? I thought to myself, I can't even protect Daphne by doing this. In what world is this helping Maddie? I stepped away from the mirror with a sigh and felt the cold metal of the gun brush against my leg, and that's when everything started to unravel. In the mirror, I watched as the reflection's face crumpled up, letting a few hot tears that it had been holding back roll down her face. I watched as her face became red and blotchy, raw and vulnerable from finally letting the mask she had been wearing for the past few months fall from her face. The face contorted into a silent scream, still too scared to make a noise. It eventually became unbearable to watch her break down in the mirror, so I turned around with my back to the counter to slide to the floor. I stopped caring about the stains the tears were having on the dress, caring even less about the pool of what may or may not be urine that the tool was now trailing in. It felt good, so gosh darn good, to finally let myself properly cry. I cried for Maddie and how young she was. I cried for Daphne and how hard she had to fight, only to be made fun of behind her back for celebrating herself. I cried for Mum, feeling guilty for everything I had put her through this year and every subsequent year prior. As had become a pattern at this point, the bathroom door tentatively swung open, revealing Mrs. Robertson standing there. She saw me immediately, of course, blinking a few times in surprise, Velma? What are you doing on the floor? Are you all right? I hurriedly wiped away my tears, pulling the mask of composure back on as quickly as I possibly could, yep, all good, miss. Mrs. Robertson narrowed her eyes suspiciously as I hoisted myself up using the counter, reassuring her in my best fake cheery voice, anyway, I should get going dash. Naturally, I had made a slight error in letting the tool sit in the mystery puddle as it is exactly what made me slip, windmilling dramatically as I started to fall. Mrs. Robertson must have had the reaction time of a chameleon as she grabbed my arm and stopped my crashing headfirst onto the counter just in time. She lowered the two of us to the ground and after a slight hesitation, pulled me into a hug. If the amount I had been crying before was comparable to a river flowing down a mountain, the amount that came out then would be if the Hoover Dam stopped existing and all those tons of water came crashing down into the Colorado River. This time, however, I was crying about myself, as selfish as that sounds.
It had only dawned on me at that exact moment how messed up of a situation I was in, a 17-year-old should be out there, in amongst the crowd of kind of definitively not drunk teenagers, dancing with her friends and staring at her crush, not crying in the bathroom because she's scared to go outside and shoot her fake boyfriend's ex because he told her to. I cried because losing a sibling, whether related by blood or not, is rough for anyone, let alone a literal child, to deal with. I cried because of how messed up society is to condemn love just because it's between two girls. I cried because of how unfair life is to people like me, who will never be able to afford fancy cars or huge houses or private tutors to help support me through the rough exam season. I cried for a thousand and one reasons into Mrs. Robertson's shoulder, weeping even more when I realized that I was probably ruining her cardigan with my snot and tears. Do you want to talk about what's bothering you, my lovely? Mrs. Robertson asked after I let her go. She offered me a tissue, or would you prefer a distraction? She was metaphorically opening the door for me revealing a light at the end of the tunnel. You can tell me anything, I won't judge, Mrs. Robertson reassured me, gently stroking my arm, trust me, I've seen some shit over the years, pardon my French. I laughed a little through the snot, mostly out of the shock of hearing Mrs. Robertson swear for the first time. Are you ready to talk now? she asked once I had blown my nose and regained some semblance of composure. I had been digging myself further and further into this pit of despair, hoping that I would find the golden answer if I just kept digging, but now someone was offering out their hand, telling me there's another way. I just have to take her hand and accept the help like not Maddie had said, as difficult as it is to do. Yeah, I nodded finally, I'm ready. Chapter 95 Velma is not the kind of person who tends to linger on her feelings, but for the second time that day, she finds herself by the tree, alone. Well, not quite alone, since Maddie's corporeal form is with her, but do ghosts really count? I do too count. Maddie protests, huffing as she leans against the tree. She has an uncanny ability to know exactly what people are thinking, especially when they're thinking about her, and today that ability is as strong as ever. Y'all are just loud. It's not my fault I can hear it. Velma doesn't respond to her. No one else is around or within earshot, but to be on the safe side, she tries not to talk to her little sister's ghost in public if she can avoid it. Maddie, though, has no such qualms. Probably because most of the time, no one else ever sees or hears her. You know Daphne saw me recently? I thought it was a one-off when she heard me in the park, and it took a lot of effort to get Rex the dog to cooperate, but a bit ago, she somehow managed to find her way up to my cottage in the sky when your mum's car broke down. Mm, Velma replies absent-mindedly, letting her head fall back on the tree. She closes her eyes, imagining something else.
Maddie thinks she's thinking about Daphne, but not because Maddie had brought her up. I like her, Maddie ventures, watching Velma out of the corner of her eye to see if she gets a reaction. She does not. She's old, but nice, I think. I'm old. Velma mumbles under her breath with a sigh. She closes her eyes and tries not to think too hard about Daphne, lest she starts crying. Ah, thought Maddie, so she is listening. Not that old, Maddie says lightly, patting her head condescendingly. She tries to ignore the ease at which her hand passes through Velma's hair. Even after over twenty years, she's not used to the feeling. You still have time. A little distance away, a twig snaps under the foot of an approaching figure. Maddie swiftly fades into the shadows, as though other people could see her. She isn't normally this cautious, but after Daphne spotted her a few times, she is trying to be more careful about who could see her. While faded, though, she could go investigate the source of the sound relatively safely. Daphne is having a hard time trying to find Velma. Not only had she pretty much run all around town in the process, but she'd also done it all while worrying that it's all going to be nothing and that it was all for naught. Finally, though, she spots a familiar figure sitting at the base of a tree. Velma looks like a rag doll, slumped against the tree like that, with her hands clasped loosely on her lap. As Daphne watches, she curls up her legs, hugging them tightly as she stares at something on the ground with her chin on her knees like a child. Cautiously, so as to not startle her, Daphne approaches. Hey! She says gently, inexplicably crouching low, as if avoiding hitting her head on an imagined low ceiling. What are you doing here? Don't you have an airplane to catch? Velma asks. It's not an accusation. It's not even a question, really. It's just an exasperated expression of frustration caused by Daphne going back on her word. It's not that Velma doesn't want Daphne here, she very much does. It's just that they had both agreed they would be better off separated, and yet here they are. Very much not separated. We need to talk, Daphne says seriously. That we do, Velma pulls herself up so she's not slumped against the tree anymore, but rather supporting herself. She tucks one foot under her knee, what do you want to talk about? Everything, Daphne replies, rather unhelpfully, Maddie would like to point out. There's so much I want to talk to you about. Maddie knows she should stay out of it. She knows that this isn't any of her business in the first place. She knows that she's crossing a firm boundary Velma had set years ago. But she is also bored of how long it's taking these two fools to get to their happily ever after and would thank her for it one day, she's sure. Still faded, Maddie moves in on the pair of them like a gust of wind, unsettling the leaves, 
rustling the boughs of the tree above the soon-to-be-happy couple and shoving them into one another in such a way that they had to catch one another as they fell. It's like all those years ago, in that special ed classroom, all over again. There are no mysteries to solve, or chairs to hide behind unknown voices from, but yet here they were, in the exact same position as all those years ago, limbs intertwined and jumbled together, close enough to feel the heat from radiating off of each other. Velma could feel the swell of Daphne breathing against her, and took slight pleasure in feeling it hitch as Velma accidentally brushed her hand against Daphne's side as she moved it up to correct her glasses. Clearing her throat, Daphne sits up. Can we start again? Daphne asks, after having composed herself a little. Pretend we're meeting each other for the first time? Yeah. I think that might be for the best, Velma says, also sitting up. She rests her head on Daphne's shoulder. God, she's tired. If this conversation wasn't quite so important, Velma would have fallen asleep on Daphne's shoulder then and there. Maybe one day we can be each other's forever s, but for now, can we just figure out how we fit into each other's lives? Of course, Daphne rests her head on Velma's head on her shoulder. After a comfortable pause where they sit like that, she asks, were you waiting for me to come back? For a bit after you left for New York, yes, Velma admits with surprising honesty. After a while, I gave up though. I found hope again when you did ultimately come back. What about you, did you wait for me? Kind of, yes. I dated in between, of course, but nothing felt, right? Daphne offers up. In her best dramatic poet voice, she adds, I am a dreamer with someone else's dream when I am without you. You dreamt of me? Velma teases with an easy smile. No, I thought of you. Velma averts her gaze, a blush creeping up her neck and cheeks. You say you're not a romantic, but then you go and say things like that. Oh, I've got more if you want it, Daphne smirks, taking it upon herself to see how red she could make Velma. Do you? Velma nods. Thinking of you is my daily habit. I wake up, and I eat breakfast, and I think of you. I send you a perfect meme after careful consideration and hunting for the perfect one. This is for you. I send you a quote that reminds me of you. This is for you. Daphne turns to take Velma's hands into her own, knowing exactly what this is doing to Velma. I have space in my heart, this, too, is for you. My affection is made of small things. This is where it finds its divinity. Name one thing holier than baking with you. This is hardly pretending to be strangers like they had agreed just minutes prior, but neither of them minded. They could pretend to be strangers tomorrow, deal with the consequences tomorrow. They're in no rush to go anywhere. 
I love you, Velma says, diving feet first into the metaphorical pool. She might curse this in a few hours, but in the here and now, she doesn't care. This makes sense now, why should she have to be responsible, anyway? I know you don't like saying it, or you feel like you're not ready, or it's a curse, but dash. I love you, too, Daphne blurts out. She's terrified. The water is dark and cold, but she takes the plunge after Velma anyway. Because everyone's going to die, and no one is going to remember you, so you might as well make the people who care about you now feel as loved as they deserve to be. Velma deserves way more than those three little words, Daphne thinks to herself, she deserves love to the moon and back. Guess I will just have to do it. W. What? Velma stutters, not quite believing her ears. I, I love you. Wait, really? Velma asks, a smile as wide as Wyoming adorning her face. I never thought I'd be worthy enough for this moment, she thinks, Daphne could do so much better, and she's picking me? Are you really going to make me say it again? Daphne chuckles, I can if you want, it's not going to be easy though. No, no, but just, Velma trails off. Wow, Daphne, I'm me taken aback. I want to find out if there's something more to life than my job and friends who don't really care, and I want to find that out with you. Maddie, in one final act of intervention, decides to help the two lovers cement the moment by starting snowfall at that exact moment. Snow falls for the first time in years in this part of California just so two people can say I love you in a slightly more scenic setting. Happiness looks good on you, Daph, Velma tucks Daphne's hair behind her ears and cups her face for a moment, hesitating slightly. In her head, she deliberates her action before ultimately deciding fuck it and kissing Daphne on the forehead. I hope you get to find out more about it in the future, and I hope I get to see you doing exactly that. Daphne is smiling when Velma pulls back. I would like that. Snow clings to their hair, turning the ground around them icy and uncomfortable, but they don't care. They're in love, and, finally, nothing is going to get in the way of that. Chapter 96 Re, New Year Plans Daphne, bblakey099 at gmail.com 15 slash 01 slash 2341 p.m. To Michaela Hi Michaela Sorry it's taken a while to get back to you. We've only just managed to get the Wi-Fi set up in the new place, even though we've been living here for the past week and a half, it turns out the house needs a lot of breaking in, if you know what I mean, haha. <laughs> it's so quiet out here, it's weird, in a good way. If no one else is home, I can hear the wind shaking the tree in the garden, or the birds on the roof, or occasionally the children from down the street playing. If I really focus, I can hear the waves crashing against the cliff on stormy days, 
or the tide coming in and out on quieter days. It's just lovely, smiley face. Anyway, enough about me, how are you? How's moving in with your partner? Sorry again for leaving you to do that on your own, dude. I imagine Canada is a lot nicer than New York, though, right? Laughing face. And your internship, how's that going? Having fun? And I'm all right, thank you for asking. Smiley face. Actually, I'm better than all right, I've literally never been happier. I don't think I realized how lonely and isolated I was until I moved back here, it's like a dark cloud has been lifted from around me. You were right, I'd spent too long in New York, and it was really starting to get me down. A new start has done me a world of good. Laughing face. The new job certainly helps, too, haha. <laughs> Velma helped set me up as an editor for the local newspaper here. It's quite a slow gig, compared to my old one, but I think that's exactly what I need right now. I don't think I ever took the time to stop and breather, let alone heal, and this extra free time is giving me the space to do exactly that. It's not all resting, though. You know I could never sit still for too long. I'm helping out Velma in the bakery part-time while she trains Emily, and I've picked up some new hobbies. Laughing face. I've sent you a knitted cardigan, so keep an eye out for that. I couldn't send you the cookies, unfortunately, so it looks like you'll just have to come here if you want to try some, winky face. Bring your new partner if you are, I want to meet them. I have included a recipe if you want to try it yourself, though. Smiley face. Baking or cooking with your partner really is the best, smiley face. Last week, when the neighbor was ill, Velma insisted that we make soup for them, and it was the most fun I've had in a while. Sure, it was chaotic and stressful at the time, how the hell does one set fire to soup? BC, I did that somehow, twice, but afterwards, when we were cleaning up and just messing about, that was great fun, laughing face. There's probably a reason why Velma's the cook-slash-baker of this household. She says hi, by the way. Or at least that's what I think she said, it's hard to tell when she's too busy trying to keep the idiot dog from jumping into a toilet full of chemicals to make herself coherent. Oh. We got a dog. Laughing face. Here she is. Photo of an adorable puppy. It's one of Cheese's puppies, the one that Christy kicked and the one Ray was struggling to get adopted. He has a cactus soft toy in his mouth and giving the camera a side eye like the sassy bitch he is. He's called Sappho officially, but after Velma started calling him Dirty BOI, it's all he responds to now, so that stuck lol. It's like having a small child around constantly, he chews up all of the furniture, pees everywhere, and screams if he is left in the room by himself. He's cute, though, so he gets away with everything. 
We're going to Shaggy and Fred's for a party at their house in a few hours, which is the first time he's been left home alone by himself for longer than an hour or two, so we'll have to see that goes, aha. Uh -huh. I'm excited about the party though, anxiety about Dirty Boy aside. I haven't been to a proper party for fun and not an obligation since, the incident with Matthew, but with Velma by my side and only close friends and family of Shaggy and Fred in attendance, I should be okay. I love this family I've built so much that it hurts sometimes. You know, whenever I saw those domesticity fluff posts on Tumblr, I used to scoff. I would laugh at the idea of someone dreaming of such a simple thing as sharing oranges with someone they love, of coming home to a house full of joy and sunlight and hope, of having someone love you unconditionally. How childish, I used to think, to want such little things. Dream bigger. Set your ambitions higher. But, yesterday, when Velma was putting all of her plants around the house so that they each get the optimal amount of sunlight for their needs and Dirty Boy was trotting behind her, pretending to help, I realized just how wrong I was. No matter how successful or how well accredited I could be, nothing would make me happier than seeing the woman I love just being herself and getting to be part of her happiness. It's a dream come true. Smiley face. Enough gushing, I should probably go live this dream now, so bye. Daphne.